Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Something slightly different today. Today you're going to hear a podcast that we streamed and recorded live on YouTube last night, Monday, January 9th with 2023 Bandera 100K champion, Mr. Jeff Colt. We are also joined in the first half by my frequent guest slash co-host, Free Trails Editor-in-Chief, Corinne Malcolm, who also happens to be Jeff's coach. I'll keep the intro short because the show more or less speaks for itself. But of course, first, I would like to extend a huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Speedland. My friends, if you haven't already, please go order the GS Tam, my signature shoe at runspeedland.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on product drop information, including final shipment dates of the GS Tam, which we are expecting in March. Also go follow the amazing trail equipment brand on Instagram at runspeedland. This two-man bootstrap startup is doing some of the coolest stuff in the outdoor industry. They're changing the footwork game and business model. They're giving back and they're 100% focused on trail running, our sport, the best sport in the world. Again, runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off. Free Trail Pro members get a special deeper discount than that on the GS Tam, so come join our community. It is one of many perks. We have a member-only podcast called Rest Day, which we put out every Monday. We have a catalog of training plans, which is about to expand significantly. We do Zoom calls to engage and answer questions from the community and we have a digital platform the free trail slack workspace where hundreds of trail people around the world interact and share wins losses and learnings from their trail journey recently shannon o'grady the phd nutritionist and chief product officer from gnarly nutrition who is actually just a guest on the free trail podcast well she just joined the slack group too and has graciously volunteered to make herself available in there to answer new nutrition questions from the free trail fam membership is only ten dollars a month or 96 dollars a year and there is a free trial so come check it out at freetrail.com finally we'll be announcing a fun new expansion of our business next week something we're excited about so stay tuned but for now hope you enjoy this live podcast with corinne malcolm and jeff colt Okay, we are live. Thank you to Travis Longcar in the chat, our fantasy guru coming up large for us here as we're always confused whether we're live or not. And welcome everybody who is watching us live. This is a fun, special live edition of the Free Trail Podcast. Joining me as usual for like three out of the last four podcasts, one Corinne Malcolm. Corinne, say hello to your fans. Hello, I still haven't painted my office. For those of you who are here on Friday, still white. <laughs> And uh, also our esteemed guest, the 2023 Bandera 100K champion, broadcasting from Carbondale, Colorado, Mr. Jeff Colt. Easy dog. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Grant. First, tell me about the, the easy dog moniker. I'm a nickname guy, and I'd love to hear the story behind that. Yeah, it actually ties into ultra running pretty good. Um, one of uh, Katie Scheid and I's mutual close friends this wonderful human, Daphne Tislak. Um, she and I drove the drunk bus in college, like it's called mid rides at Middlebury to like basically provide a sober ride for people around campus or hopping around, uh, you know, from the library back to their dorm on the far side of campus. And um, one of us would drive and the other would dispatch. And 
Daphne decided we needed code names and uh, hers was Rowdy Boss because she's both quite rowdy and quite bossy. And mine was Easy Dog because I had mannerisms of a dog and kind of wanted to go with the flow and be be easygoing. So I would typically do whatever she told me to do. And that was the birth of Easy Dog, uh, I guess, freshman year of college. It fits, man. You got to ask on to produce a hat or a t-shirt or something with the easy dog moniker on it. It definitely works. So a quick run of show for our viewers here this evening. Corinne is heading out of town tonight, so she's going to join us for the first half of the show. We're going to talk about her relatively new coach-athlete partnership with one Jeff Colt. We're going to talk all about the training that led into both the trail and mountain running world championships. And then of course, the training that led up to this fantastic victory, the Bandera 100K just a couple of days ago. And then Corinne is going to take off probably 20, 30 minutes from now to go out of town for a couple of days. And Jeff and I are then going to banter about the race itself. And then at the end, critically, we're going to be making a big announcement. Jeff Cold is going to be breaking some news on this program, much akin to LeBron James's decision back in 2011. Is he staying in Cleveland? Is he taking his talents to South Beach? In this instance, we will understand or come to know whether Jeff Colt will be accepting his golden ticket into the Western States 100 or focusing his attention on other goals here in the 2023 season. So stick around to the end. You're not going to want to miss it. I can say that I personally don't know the decision that is going to be announced here on the program. Corinne probably does, but we're all going to find everything. out. Always. She knows everything. Always. <laughs> So with all that being said, uh, welcome guys to the program and thank you to everybody who is viewing uh, at home. If you do have questions for Corinne or Jeff, you can feel free to throw them in the chat. I'm not great at pulling those out, but I will do my best if we have some time to pull some names or questions out of the out of the chat. So to start, as is our tradition here on the podcast, Jeff, I think you've probably made a lot of new fans this weekend. And so I'd love to just give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, tell the audience of, with you know a minute or two minutes worth of your backstory, including how you got into trail running. Yeah, uh, well, I'll start by saying that I'm actually a big NBA fan. And this weekend and today, I've now been compared to Michael Jordan with the flu game and LeBron James. And I don't quite think I'm deserving of these comparisons. Uh, just two of the most amazing athletes of all time. But uh, thank you for the really kind words. Um, my name is Jeff Colt. I'm originally from New Hampshire. I grew up uh, doing a lot of running and skiing. Uh, my family is obsessed with alpine ski racing. Um, I work full-time in the ski industry for a company called ZipFit. We make ski boot liners. And um, I've found a nice balance in life of like, I get to work in the ski industry, which I love skiing and love that world and community. And I get to compete in trail running and ultra running as a, um, as an athlete. So I really got my start in running as like a seven-year-old kind of chasing my brother around and did the Hershey track series, did USATF junior Olympics for cross country as like a seven and eight-year-old and was always more on the cross country side than the track side. Um, think running through woods and running on trails like always felt like home um the trail ultra scene kind of took form in college uh, I started working at the Appalachian Mountain Club White Mountain Hot Systems um 
Some other famous ultra trail runners who have that same lineage are Hillary Girardi and Katie Scheid. Um, Katie and I actually pretty much overlapped all the same seasons and also were, were classmates at Middlebury. Um, but the White Mountains in New Hampshire are amazing. They're definitely my heart home. Uh, some really hard trails. And I think one summer, um, you know, this idea of the hut traverse, linking all the huts in one like 46 mile hard effort uh, was really appealing, but kind of simplistically, I looked at a trail map and was like, there's like two hike options from this hut that I'm working at all summer. And then scratched my head a little bit and was like, well, actually, if I like look beyond 13 miles or like 15 miles, all of a sudden there's a ton of options. Mm -hmm. I just have to move way faster. Um, and yeah, kind of just started gallivanting around the White Mountains. Um, didn't really know that there was this like trail running scene going on at that time. Dylan was probably, you know, podiuming at Leadville in those years. And I didn't even know really what Leadville was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, started trying to compete in races in 2015. And uh, the last living now in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did my first couple of races back in um, New Hampshire and Maine and Vermont. And then moved to Colorado in the fall of 2016 and have been in Carbondale just over six years now. And, uh, love both places a yeah. lot. Um, definitely fallen in love with the, the long distance kind of ultra trail side of things. Um, certainly lean more toward yeah. the, the 50 to hundred kilometer race than the half marathon 50 K. Yeah. Well, that is becoming clear. So now moving to the conversation about the coach athlete dynamic, this got me really excited when I had this idea of like, Oh, Corinne coaches Jeff. So we could have an awesome glimpse into what those dynamics are like, especially immediately after a fantastic golden ticket victory, the Bandera hundred K. So before we get to Corinne, Jeff, I'd love to have you describe what was going on psychologically when you sent a note to Corinne, you know, sort of what was the considerations going through your head as you're thinking both in the short and long term about your career and what put you in the place where you reached out to one Corinne Malcolm? Uh, there's like this, like, I can just keep opening the accordion further and further. Um, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it somewhat succinct though. Um, in August, I just had this series of like, kind of like revelations and in, in terms of, I had some significant changes in and my outlook on how I wanted to live my day-to-day -day life, on how I wanted to pursue running, um, pursue my work, pursue my relationships, and embrace a lot more intentionality. Um, I also chatted with Katie after her UTMB win, and she was like, Jeff, like, honestly, just like having a coach made a huge difference in my life. And um, I started thinking back to like, I had like the greatest high school cross country coach I could ever ask for. Um, Jim Eakin, amazing Hanover high cross country um, and had some amazing ski coaches and kind of started reframing like a coaching relationship could be really cool. Um, I was proud of like working by myself and doing it on my own, but I also knew that I hated running hill repeats and hated running fast. Like I did zero threshold or like anaerobic work and wow. redlining was like my, 
my no-no zone. And I kind of knew I wasn't going to enter into that place without some help. So after chatting with Katie a little bit, I started like shopping for a coach and I wanted someone who had basically um, some type of Nordic skiing background because I think Nordic skiers have a great understanding of just like cross training, balance of fitness. Like in my mind, ultra running is still like a concept that my friends in high school who did Nordic would do like their OD runs on the weekend. And like, I think there's a sound understanding there. So, um, I ended up getting connected with Corinne and that all came from like looking at 2022 Western States, knowing I had a good day there, but Mm -hmm. it still came up a little short ending up men's 11. Um, and like, I knew exactly what I was capable of running that day. Like I am actually a good like pacer and good. I know myself really well, but what I realized was like, wouldn't it be cool to go to Western States and have no idea what my potential was and like be able to actually go and, and kind of, you know, gamble some chips and, um, try to run sub 16. Um, so yeah, that led to, uh, a couple different paths, I think connected Corinne and I, um, he nerds unite. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So to, to bring Corinne into the conversation now, I'd love to hear your perspective when someone like Jeff reaches out to you, what's the initial conversation like, and what helps you come to the conclusion that you're a good match and that you would be able to help him in his journey as an athlete? Well, I think our initial conversation, we were like both in transit, I think like we're both in our respective vehicles having this, like we're on the road conversation. And I think it immediately clicked when I was like, okay, what kinds of skiing do you like? And you were like, I like backcountry skiing and I like Nordic skiing, but I don't want to run on skis. And I was like, perfect. We can like, we are aligned in our <laughs> ski philosophies here. Um, it's like, we can go find powder and we can Nordic ski. But I think, you know, I've been coaching, I mean, I've been coaching for over a decade and a lot of my coaching has been with like elite level skiers and then like kind of a smattering of ultra and trail and road runners. Um, but honestly, I've always had like a very small and limited, like elite roster. And so getting to like build that out a little bit and have people like Jeff, um, reach out, I was like, Oh heck yeah. Like these people are, I mean, everyone's fun to coach, but getting to like talk about schedules and how important, like navigating that as a pro is like getting to do all those little intricate things that are very different than the everyday runner has to go through is just like, something that my life is steeped in right now, since they're my peers in a big way. Yep. And so it's fun to help people like Jeff navigate all of that, as well as like getting to do the things that make them happy in the winter. Yeah. So as you got a feel for Jeff's experience level and his strengths and weaknesses, what were some of the initial action items that you sort of put on his training program? Anything obvious that you wanted to address immediately? Uh, I mean, he did immediately say like, he did say that's the no, no zone. Like I don't run. I don't like to run hard. And I was like, well, we can, we can add very little to your week. And I think make you a lot better really quickly. Um, but without, I don't think, I mean, I think when you work with athletes like Jeff too, you don't have to go crazy. It's Mm -hmm. like, you're steering the ship, like you're turning dials. You're not reinventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, we can shift this thing ever so slightly. We can, order your runs on the weekend this way. Mm-hmm. We can put this easy day here or like help you move your intensity to a better day for you. It's it's these 
small tweaks as opposed to like these big dramatic overhauls of someone's schedule. I think getting Jeff to run fast was probably something that he needed someone just to like hold him accountable to do. Yep. But really anyone could hold Jeff accountable to to doing that, I think. And then getting creative and being like, okay, like you've got this big Verde race coming up. Like yeah. how many <clears throat> long run weekends do we have to work with? And like, what is the most essential thing that we have to get in, in that finite time? Like mm. Jeff had the training for a race like Worlds honestly, like a race like Bandera, it was just like finessing some little things to try to put him in a better spot. Great. Well, I'd love to get some more detail on that. And I'm sure the audience would love to hear some of the intricacies too. But Jeff, maybe first, can you talk about whether or not there was a little bit of an adjustment period to this new, more structured training methodology? And can you talk about kind of building trust and buy-in to this new program? Yeah, I think the one thing we were on the same page on like from the get-go was like, you know, if, if it's possible to have days that I can go and bike with my friends and like go mountain bike or road bike, um, as I was building for worlds, like that means a lot to me. And, uh, also like the flexibility of that, because, you know, my buddy drew might text me on Wednesday being like, you want to go do an up and override. And, uh, I might have, you know, something else on Wednesday and, I can do that on Thursday. And so being able to shift things around and Mm -hmm. be dynamic with it. um, I think the, the kind of like vert periodization going into worlds was the, the real, like, all right, like I didn't do a single week this year so far over 17 K vert. And I think I had a 25 K week with a 10 K day and 10 K on vert and skis is so fun. And 10 K a vert on running, like is not, not as fun, um, especially when you're like running in the exact terrain you typically like backcountry skiing in. Yeah. It's like, wow, every single one of these descents is hard and it would be so fun to be moving in a different manner right now. Um, but yeah, I think the, the main like adjustment period was just like, all right, you know, it's no longer kind of wake up, have coffee, decide if I'm running right then or push it off later in the day and think about what I should do for running. Like I know what I'm going to do the next day. You know, I know what I'm going to do a couple of days in advance um, or a week out or whatnot and can actually plan a lot more accordingly and having the flexibility of like, you know, 90 minutes on a bike is is still 90 minutes of endurance mm-hmm. fitness. Um, and I think up to this point, and I think I'll continue to kind of take pride in the fact that like, I'm a pretty durable runner. Mm. Um, I'm one of the just like stronger build runners, uh, in the, in the ultra scene. And that has helped me in long distance races where like, typically my body doesn't really break down, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from doing stuff like backcountry skiing, even some alpine skiing, um, mountain biking, road biking, climbing, just being an athlete. So Corinne, As you imagine the combination between Worlds and Bandera, I'd love to have you speak about how you envision those (laughs) things in context and in combination. And if there's anything you can reveal about the process of prescribing this training, especially to somebody who's new to having a coach and who does have these multi-sport aspirations, skiing, cycling, climbing, running... Yeah, you have to realize that while you're also trying to layer in this like birdie little world's race that actually had a lot of running, I think more running than any of us really realized going into it with Bandera, which I mean, 
so awesome that Jeff has so much experience in that course that I could really lean into his course knowledge of like, okay, like what do we actually need to get done here? But the, the other part of that is like, it's like winter and snow is coming into the area that Jeff lives. And he's like, okay, but can I skin this morning? And like, if I skin this morning, should I spin or should I take the dog for a jog? And so if you looked at his training peaks, like pre getting sick and you guys should talk about that for sure was like, you know, like, okay, if skin this morning, then I'd prefer you do this in the afternoon. If not skin, do this in the morning and do this in the afternoon. Like all these that's like, good like, coaching there. And slash and or like coded combinations in which it was kind of like a somewhat choose your own adventure, but at the same time, like trying to be like, this is the priority. And I think the thing is that we sat down and we said, okay, like what do you actually need to get done to get to Bandera? Mm-hmm. Like you have a ton of fitness from the world's build you like came out of the like western like you know i knew that like how worked he was post western states we had like had this whole conversation about that i knew the fitness he had brought into worlds like getting psyched for that and i knew that he'd carry that fitness towards bandera as long as we like didn't burn him out and so we had some conversations about like okay what do we actually have to get accomplished can we do like how many key workouts you know or like or good high quality workouts do we need to fit into this period with like some fun family stuff, like a 30th birthday party, like all these things, like trying to hit all the little puzzle pieces. And I think that, that I think, and you know, besides getting sick, we like had a pretty good runway of like, we don't have to run super long. You're like, you've done the super long running this year, mm-hmm. but if we can get some quality runs that look like this in great, like, let's think about getting some, you know, tempo-y style efforts in, and they can look like this and let's prioritize doing one of these a week, but it wasn't necessarily like on Monday, you do this on Tuesday, you do this. Yeah. It was more like, let's try to hit these things over a 10 day period. And like, Jeff is smart enough to be able to kind of like move those things around or ask a question when he's like, not sure what he should be doing. That's so great. The optionality and the, if this, then that methodology, giving the athlete room to make decisions for him or herself. That's good coaching. I'm not a dictator. Like I I tell everyone that like, I'm a really bad dictator, but I think like with, with a lot of these coach athlete relationships, like it's a mentorship Yeah, and it's someone that's just in your corner and like, he could make that decision for himself, but it's so much easier to go to this one other person that you trust and be like, this is how I'm feeling. I think I need to rest today. Yeah. And having this other person, me or anyone else say, yeah, you're right. Like resting today sounds good. Like it's so much easier to rest and not question it than like if you were doing that on your own. Yeah. So it then, also kind of happened that like we had our key workouts, like all right, like this is a key workout, like some really good, like kind of four by 12 minute at, you know, eight or nine, um, RPE. And like those workouts felt great, but every one of them, like Carbondale just had a really early winter this year. The roads have been messy since I got back from worlds. And like some of those workouts felt great. Some felt really bad. And, uh, in general, like every run had more stress than maybe it should have just because Mm, conditions were rough and yeah i ended up getting sick kind of right in the beginning of december and trying to play that card of like do i go and do this run today like i feel horrible and you know there were a couple days where i i did make that decision and like my body just kind of 
like, and then you were couch bound. And okay, then we were so like, cool. Afterwards, <laughs> before yeah, before we talk about the illness, because I think that's definitely relevant in the context of the performance that you put on the board on Saturday. I'd love to hear you first, Jeff, talk about the World Trail Champs experience, because from what I understand, it was somewhat transcendental for you, and that it made you reconsider your golden ticket aspirations. So teasing the announcement that you're going to be making later, maybe just talk a little bit about your trip to Thailand and why it was so powerful. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's really easy to like be caught up in kind of your everyday training for me. That's almost entirely by myself. Um, those bike rides with friends or like the Thursday night group run at independence run and hike. Like those are my activities where I get to be with someone else, but for the most part, like 12 to 16 hours a week or whatnot is me training solo. Um, going over to Worlds, there were 38 people on that U.S. team. Um, and like it was a week spent with this community I didn't really know before. I knew a couple of them. I knew a couple of them maybe through social media or like, you know, they were from the Upper Valley or lived in the Upper Valley now and uh, like have been in touch and getting to spend a week with these athletes in Thailand, going and getting meals, kind of cruising around, supporting them at their races. And then especially with Adam Mary, Adam Peterman and Eric LaPuma, like getting to race alongside them. Like it very much brought me back to high school cross country and a little bit of college cross country, but I felt it way more in high school of just like, I'm racing for more than myself here. And, um, you know, I need to, I need to keep running as hard as I can despite cramping, despite whatever I'm going through. Cause I know Eric, Adam and Adam were doing the same thing. And, um, I ended up leaving Thailand, I think with like, in a lot of ways, like 38 new friends. And I, I guess I like challenge anyone to think about leaving a trail race that they went to with like 38 new friends. Like you might talk to a person or two out on the trail. You might get to hit it off with someone afterwards, maybe, like I tried really hard at Bandera. We got some food with some other runners after the race. Like that's putting a lot of effort in to like meet some people and um, everything with worlds, it was just facilitated for us. And because the USATF volunteers like took care of us so well, we really like had this amazing runway to build some relationships, race really well, perform really well and be able to like decompress and like hang by the pool and, and joke with friends and, um, I don't think there's many opportunities in life to get like a 38 person adult summer camp <laughs> with like a bunch of people who share your interests and like weird oddities of your day. Yeah. Um, yeah, awesome. like that free run bowel movement that's completely understood <laughs> without having to talk about it by every single person there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was special, uh, world's when I approached Corinne, it was definitely like, I want to be top three at Western States. Um, I don't know if I have the toolkit to do it. I don't know if I understand periodization, um, like what I should do when and like how to push myself to get there. And I came back from Worlds and I was like, oh my God. Reconsidering was... the podium at Western States as being the light at the end of the tunnel or the carrot at the end of the stick. So, Corinne, yeah. before before we let you go, I'd love yeah. to hear you talk now about what happened in between Worlds and Bandera, because as we've just alluded to, Jeff fell ill 
just a few weeks ago to the yeah. extent that he was couch ridden, as you described. And as a coach, that's obviously a difficult situation to navigate. It's just as hard for the coach to figure out what to do in that situation as, as it is for the athlete. So bring us into those days and weeks where Jeff was feeling ill and how you handled it as a coach before we let you go. Well, I think we did the math and I think he was under the weather for like almost three weeks. It was like 20 days. It was like December 7th, the 27th or something. Yeah, pretty much right after Christmas. Absolutely. Like a coach's worst nightmare. Um, Probably not something I'd recommend to many athletes. And and we talked about this earlier today, actually, on like a post-race phone call of like, yeah, that probably that might not have flown at like a road marathon or a way too cool style effort. But like... It was, I think, I, I mean, I think everyone goes into that with a little bit of like doubt of like, okay, like, are you recovered? Like, are you feeling, are you actually feeling better? Um, but took it really, I feel like workout by workout day by day of like, Hey, let's try this. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't push the envelope at all. We got some like good kind of medium length endurance runs and some like strides in post Christmas, just mm-hmm. like getting the legs turning over, but like no fancy workouts, no big, like fun last like huzzah hurrah long runs it was like okay he got actually there was a moment of like we thought he was getting better pre-christmas and we went he went and did a long run and then like was back on the couch for like 72 hours (laughs) so that did not that did not work for us very well but like coming out of it I think we realized like his paces were coming back around his energy level was coming back around and I think too like knowing what he needed to do at Bandera was like well within his capabilities like fitness wise like he's not it was he didn't need to go run like 530 miles like coming off of illness he needed to go like run like a steady endurance pace Mm. and be really smart and be really and like run a very tact like a tactful race and that is something that is very much in Jeff's wheelhouse like the 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 gaming side of the sport I would say Jeff does I was going to ask, I was going to ask about that. He seems like, I don't know, Jeff, if you've got that text you sent me, like the post-race text where like the, I was just looking at our text to count the number (laughs) of times in December. I texted you and I was like, Corinne, I hate to say it. I really don't want to say it, (laughs) but I'm either getting something new or I'm still sick. Yeah. there's Um, a lot of those, And all the way up until unfortunately, like two days before the race, Tuesday, like, yeah. Yeah of last week where I just got like totally hit with a congestion, like build up, but the text the, after the race, yeah, was, right after the race. So it went pretty smooth. I tried to explain it to race day, Rick. I just needed to separate my muscular, muscular skeletal body from my organs and tell my two organs to take the day off and just trust my legs. Yes. Um, right. I think my response was like, that's next, like that's next level mental game yeah. Like to be like, Hey, like I know the red lights are going off but you're okay. Like you can do this. And like in our conversations, I think it's very clear that Jeff is capable that we met at like Western States and we had like a three minute conversation before he raced. And I was like, this guy's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, And so I think knowing that going in, you're always nervous. And I was definitely like, so jazzed to come back from my run on Saturday and be like, Oh, Holy crap. Like Jeff's Jeff's just took over the lead. Like, I don't know what happened at the end of that 50 K, but, um, yeah, not a not a nerve, not a non nerve wracking situation. I wouldn't. I'm gonna say let's not do that. 
in general. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, trying to figure out how cool, to just like cool be steady, healthy. Yeah. 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 Cause for our, our viewers, they may not remember that you also were positive for COVID maybe 10 days before Western States. And we're sort of carrying the lingering effects of that into Western States where you finished 11. until like Friday. Of yeah. yeah. I remember I seeing you in a village with your Thursday mask afternoon. on. Like, yeah. Looking, yeah. you know, like you had just seen a ghost, but we're, still excited to go traverse the Sierra hundred miles to Auburn. So, well, yeah. it's awesome. And thanks for the insight into your guys's coach athlete relationship. I think there's a lot of valuable conversations that we could expand on, but I know Corinne's got to head out of town tonight. I'm, yeah. I'm responsible for packing up a truck with ski gear. Yeah. So I'm going to do that yep. before I get into trouble. Yep. Thank so, you, Corinne, uh, for joining us. And uh, yeah, thanks for your insight from a coaching perspective and have a great couple of days there. Uh, yeah. Hanging out Jeff, I leave you in the very capable hands yeah. of Dylan Bowman. Yeah. You're going to enjoy this. Thanks. Get some skiing in for me. Have fun. Oh yeah, I will. I'll see you guys later. See you, Craig. Take care. Bye. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Best Day Brewing, the non-alcoholic option I will be reaching for during dry January and the rest of 2023. If you're like me, you love a cold beer with friends after a long run or after a hard day at work. And if you're also like me, you realize that alcohol, even in small quantities, takes a toll on your physical and psychological energy, and that taking a break can help take your game to the next level. I am convinced that my six weeks off the booze before Hard Rock and 2021 was a big reason why I felt so good during that training block and so good on race day. And I just discovered Best Day Brewing while I was at my cousin's wedding in Sacramento, and it, it has become my favorite non-alcoholic beer, and it is brewed for doers like you and me. Finally, a full flavor, full body, full aroma craft beer without the alcohol to slow us down. I know you guys are going to love this product, so I wanted to challenge you. The thousands of free trail listeners out there, join me for dry January, abstaining from alcohol for the first month of the year to start 2023 on the right foot together. I've been doing dry January for almost a decade and best day will be my go-to beverage after a hard training session when I'm out socializing or chilling at home with my wife, my favorite best day is the west coast ipa but they also make a kolsch and a hazy ipa which are equally delicious and refreshing check them out at bestdaybrewing.com use code dry20 for 20 percent off you can also use dry ship for free shipping and go follow them on instagram at bestdaybrewing america's next big beer company i am convinced Stay dry, stay happy with me this January. Tag me in your best day Instagram stories and I will be sure to reshare. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, the first brand to ever believe in free trail. So if you are surprised and happy that we still exist, well, we are too. And much of that is thanks to Gnarly Nutrition. Gnarly has a ridiculously robust offering of products to power your training and recovery. And today I want to tell you about the Gnarly Protein Products to augment and improve your post-run routine and to help kickstart your recovery for the next training session. Gnarly Vegan and Gnarly Wave provide two 
high quality options for omnivorous and plant-based athletes alike. One of the great things I did in 2022 was start having a recovery shake after hard workouts and long runs, something that's nutrition 101 and certainly not rocket science, but even old dogs can learn new tricks, including myself. I started having a protein shake, mixing gnarly whey with almond milk immediately after hard training sessions and definitely noticed an improvement in my recovery. Combine that with the BCAAs before exercise and you are living the high performance nutrition lifestyle. Check out Gnarly at gonarly.com. Use code freetrail 15 for 15% off your order. Gonarly.com. Use code freetrail 15 Back to the show. So Jeff, just the two of us now to talk about all about the race on Saturday. I want to get all the, all the details going into it. And I think first, maybe walk us through the first part of the race and your Strava post. You said that you were following John Ray's winning splits from 2021, or I'm sorry, from 2022, where he ran a really even hundred K of really even 250 kilometer laps. What was your strategy in the first part of the day and how did you sort of adhere to it? Yeah, my, um, I typically, I do totally Strava stock. Like I come up with a race strategy and I try to stick to that strategy, but like research, I think is like one of the best tools to start with. And I always look for the runner who started slow and, um, had a stronger finish. And last year, um, I knew that was John Ray, like not just because he won it. Um, I knew he went through the first lap in like four hours and I actually read John's Strava, um, recap Mm -hmm. from the 2022 Bandera and folks should go look at it. Definitely follow John Ray. He's amazing, but read that Strava recap because I read it out loud to my dad, uh, the night before the race. And he was like, that sounds good. I was like, yeah, like, let me just pull his splits. Um, I think we should go with like this plan. It looks conservative enough, basically, um, starting around 20th, letting the people go easy through the first five miles through that, um, Boyle's aid station, um, nice and consistent kind of let the leaders go, but still running around the same pace as them. Just not with that mental tension of being in the mix, um, through equestrian and then, uh, steady move up, just keep running casually through nachos, like mile 16. So I had all of his splits written on my hand and I went maybe like a minute and a half too fast through boils, the very beginning. Um, it also was rainy and misty for them. So I was like, actually like these conditions are pretty much Mm. like the same, you know, these splits should be pretty, pretty comfortable for me to like run with. And I know Corinne kind of said it before that, like that comfortable long distance pace, like I call it my cruise control pace. Like I feel very comfortable 6.45 to 7.15, um, like just running that. I don't have to think much. It's not like I'm actively hammering. Um, And Bandera, it has some real climbs. They're like only 300 feet or so, but uh, you know, a lot of it's rolling where you can still, carry a good clip, even if it's like a gradual uphill. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm looking at John Reyes splits going through the first lap. Like I ended up having an awesome conversation, um, with Andrew Simpson and Charlie Ware running with them, just chatting about life and stuff. Keep all everything like cool. Um, 
Because you were sort of running in the back <laughs> half or even outside the top 10 for that. Yeah, like 17th or so, yeah. like 16th, 17th. Um, from nachos to um, to Chapas, I moved up to around like 11th or 13th. I remember passing um, Joe McConaughey and, um, and Chris Meyer. I hadn't met Chris at that point, but mm-hmm. I just knew this person was running incredibly smoothly with Joe and figured they were also trying to run a smart race a little bit slower. Um, that's where the splits really got interesting because I didn't actually check in with John to be like, Hey, did you like drop the hammer from chop us to like lodge to the 50 K mark for those last, uh, I guess like 10 or so miles, like of that first lap, did you, did you like charge? And I left chop us and I'm like looking at my hand and like what I wrote down, I'm like, man, I got to run like six forties from here until the next state station to, to get there in three hours and 30 minutes and to be on a four hour first loop. And, um, the conditions weren't awesome as anyone who like followed the race might've seen. I still thought I could come as close to even splitting as possible. Um, I think having run Bandera, you know, twice, I know that even split, like basically whoever has that smallest positive split is going to win the race. Yep. Um, and I thought it would also be pretty cool to try to be the second person to go under eight hours. Um, all of that in consideration, like that was pre-sick Jeff. Yeah. Uh, wanting to go under eight hours like that day, I was like, we're just taking it as it rolls. And I think four hours is still a, a good mark to go through the halfway point. Turns out like I ended up passing like everybody, <laughs> the majority of the field in like a five mile period trying to stick on John Reyes splits. Um, and I came through like just over four hours of that 50 K and in John Reyes Strava description, he's like, like, I, I remember reading it out loud. He's like, you know, oh, I was somewhere around 17th. And then I started moving up a little bit around chop us. And sure enough, like I ended up coming in like right around four hours flat. And I saw the first two guys, Adam and, um, Tyler Fox going out as I was coming in and I was like three or four minutes out from them and I was in third place. And like, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what I just posted. I just found John Ray's, uh, Strava yeah. post from last year's Bandera. And I put it in the chat of our YouTube for everybody to go read after it's the fact. Like, I can't wait to exactly revisit it. exactly the same. I, I was, was going like, to read oh, it out man. loud, but it's super long. So anyway, it's really long. Yeah. That's great. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about that self-talk though, because I think that doesn't necessarily always come naturally, especially to the pros in the race to be comfortable sitting in that 17th area when you have aspirations to win or get a golden ticket how do you manage that from an attitude perspective are you just somebody who likes to come from behind i think i think that um really like the first race i changed that race strategy was worlds caitlin gerben was like jeff like the whole race from behind strategy it works at smaller races it works even at competitive races you know to some extent but she was like it doesn't work at worlds yeah she's like it doesn't work at utmb um she basically was like the race is going to split into packs and those packs are going to be running almost a minute different pace per mile and if you end up in the chase pack as opposed to the lead pack or like the end of the lead pack like that's just going to continue growing and growing and growing and so worlds i like had to flip my script and and try it differently but uh bandera like the the racing from behind is something that does come comfortably to me like it means i can 
focus on my nutrition and hydration early on and like be chill and just like racing within myself. Um, I call it cruise control. Cause like it feels effortless in the fact that like my body is incredibly used to doing that pace. And, um, if that means that like, I don't have to be in the mix of those front runners. So I can think more about my ins and outs. Like, am I actually hydrated enough that I have to pee? Um, like that's a, you know, important consideration and, um, makes it so, you know, actually can focus just on my systems and like, what's an equilibrium, what needs to be tuned. And then when I know like, all right, enough of this is under my belt that, um, I can start pushing harder. That's like kind of the, the turn it on. And at black Canyon last year, like I had a talk with Chris Mako before the race and he was like, Jeff, mile 34, you cross this river. That's when the race starts yep. like go. Yep. And for me this year, having run Bandera before I actually thought waiting to 50 K was going to be a little too late. Um, and wanted to turn it on a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely comes at this point of like, what's actually like, you know, body mind communication, like, are there actually blinking red lights? Yeah. Are there things that are like going wrong here? You know, is that tendonitis on my left knee, like a flare up that like could sideline me? Or is that just, you know, a little, a little tweak? Like, yeah. are these calf camping or cramping calves and cramping quads? Like, what does that mean? Like I need to drink more and probably take in some more sodium or salt. Yeah. Um, so for me, I find taking myself out of that front contention, at least early on in a race, especially a race that's going to last eight hours. Um, focuses just, you a little bit. Yeah, definitely helps me focus. Definitely helps me not make mistakes early on. Um, and it's not that I like to discredit the runners who are ahead of me, like at black Canyon, you know, true heart and Scott Traer literally like ran away with the race. I never even saw them, but I think, um, at this point, a lot of the races I'm going in, I actually do have a lot more experience than a lot of the runners who are maybe coming over from track and field or college cross country and trying to like get a golden ticket and, and, uh, prove themselves. Like I can kind of count on some of those folks making some mistakes. And, uh, I also know like, you know, 430 pace doesn't translate at all. Like when we're on variable terrain and that's a zone that I've been comfortable with my whole life and feel, feel good about, you know, a steady 645 or 715, 730, whatever pace. It's amazing just what mistake minimization can do and how powerful it can be and how it's reflected oftentimes in the results sheet when all is said and done. Before we move on, can you introduce us and introduce the audience to Race Day Rick? You mentioned his name and I want to set the context because I think he's a compelling character in this drama. Got a nice photo of him back in the day, uh, old Western here (laughs) on my desk. Uh, But uh, Race Day Rick, my dad has been... um, a huge like champion of mine and supporter of mine since I was a little kid. Like we used to have ski races every weekend, running races every weekend, soccer games, like nonstop. And he was always there uh, along with my grandfather Bumpa to take us to all the events. And um, as I started leaning back into competitive running post-college, he was like, well, you know, I'd love to come. I think it was after my first attempt at Bandera he was like, it would have been really cool to be down there and help support you. And I even was like, what, what are you going to do? And he came to um, Ultra Race of Champions of Virginia 
soon thereafter. And I remember like literally dodging water that he was throwing at me, like outside of aid stations and being like, you can't support me outside of aid stations. <laughs> and he was like, you look hot. Um, and he really like, he wants the best for me. He's an amazing uh, crew chief and supporter. And um, he kind of got this uh, nickname race day, Rick, because at the 2019 Bandera, Chris Mako and Tyler Green um, were the two guys running in front of me. We're all racing for that golden ticket. And it wasn't until after the race that both of them came up to me and be like, your dad was such a champion out there. He was dousing me with like ice water. He was filling my bottles for me and like, just like cheering so hard. I'm like, dad, like, come on, pops. You're supposed those to are the guys who beat me. Like you're supposed to be supporting me. Like what's going on? Um, so we've grown to have an awesome dynamic. Um, he's come and support me maybe five or six races now. And, uh, this was certainly our best race, like in terms of both our teamwork, uh, kind of racer pit crew chief. Um, you know, I think we brought my total aid station time down like below two minutes in an eight and a half hour race. And, um, he, yeah, he's, he loves it. It's awesome. I think he's really excited to be there. Uh, he has an amazing ability to stand directly in front of the cameras for the live broadcast and have no idea, like could be completely oblivious. Um, if you ever, for some reason, rewatch the, the black Canyon, 2022 feed, like it's all race day, Rick. time and they have no idea who I am or like what place I'm in or, or who's in third. Uh, but Rick Colt is just like standing there in front of the camera. Like what a yeah, legend. So, and what Definitely a great a nickname between easy dog and race day, Rick, there's some great nicknames, maybe quickly, just cause I'm a dad now and I'm a sentimental person skipping ahead. Obviously you won the race. What was it like to sort of share that experience with your old man? Uh, it's awesome. I mean, again, if you watch that live feed from just a couple of days ago, he's standing right at the finish line, staring down the straightaway, looking for me as like, you know, Jamil and like all these cameras are trying to like, get sights on the first finisher and no, they just have his back. Um, yeah, it, it's awesome. I mean, he like, I think he gets to live vicariously through it. He certainly really likes coming to the events and meeting people and being out there. And, um, he's been through me, like been through yes, successes and some harder failures with me. And, um, it's always there to, to pick me up. And I think we both learn, good lessons and takeaways from every race. Um, it's a huge thing, having a community and yeah. having someone there to support you. Um, having done a lot of races solo without any aid, uh, you know. It's a big advantage even, to have a good it is crew, a big advantage. crew chief. Yeah. Yeah. I say it's my secret weapon and it's not like that much of a fabrication. I mean, it, it's a huge advantage and um, just having someone to like make you smile yeah. Um, those endorphins are going to translate to just feeling better more than you might, more than you might imagine. Positive attitude. So yeah. before we went live here, I was asking you, or I just said sort of congratulations on the awesome finish. And you were just like, man, it was one of those races where you just feel like garbage the whole time. <laughs> so yeah. I think this is a good lesson for our audience. The fact that sometimes feelings don't equate to results. And you mentioned in your Strava post about the lights that were flashing red. So I just love to 
hear you discuss this topic a little bit about dealing with adversity in real time, about shutting down the voices in your head that are telling you that you feel like garbage and that you should slow down and generally how you managed to win a race like Bandera when you felt like garbage the whole time. Yeah. I think the, like the best rhythm I got in that whole day was chatting with Charlie Ware, like between mile 12 and 15 or something, just learning about his life and um, some like mutual connections. And uh, that kind of took my mind off of like what was going on. But I, like I was pretty much on a couch for the better part of December. And, um, you know, I was sinus rinsing with like nasal spray the morning of the race, just getting all this gunk out of my system and, um, being out there, like my head didn't feel clear at the start. Um, you know, look around and see competitors. I don't do a lot of like the who's who of who's racing, uh, before the race. I don't really want that to affect me. And I want to just like, again, execute my strategy, which is typically like fall back, um, and eventually kind of turn things around. So when, uh, when things kind of started out, like it's slippery, it's kind of raining, at least it was cool temperatures, but, um, my legs didn't like necessarily feel fresh. I didn't feel good. I wasn't like, Oh, like I'm energized. Yeah. Let's get Cause this. like some of these, um, some days though, especially when you're pro, you have that feeling of like, Oh, I've got it today. Yeah. Black canyons. I was like, yeah, yo, if this is a hundred mile race, I'm winning by so much. Like I'm <laughs> reeling in anyone who's ahead of me, but that was not the feeling at Pandera at all. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think like one way to, one way to describe it is like, I was actively like, trying to say encouraging things to other people I was around and like engage with people at aid stations just to receive their positivity back to me. Yeah. Um, like I get in my head a lot and not necessarily like me with my own thoughts, but me trying to spend time with my loved ones and like my cherished memories and my favorite people. Um, and just think of them and like to know that my mom and stepdad are down in Florida, like, probably watching the live feed as I'm running and thinking of me and thinking of them, like spending their day in that way, like gives me more strength to, you know, know, like, all right, I've got their energy. I can kind of keep, keep moving through this. But, um, you know, the one thing that seemed steady was like my nutrition felt pretty even keeled the whole race. And I wasn't like, all right, I, you know, I need to take in a bunch of caffeine or like yeah. I need bready things. Like you were I taking care of yourself. You just weren't feeling yeah. strong and healthy. Yeah. But like at no point was I like, this is a, this is a record setting day. And like, um, I think it was a hard day for pretty much everyone out there. Yeah. You know, talking it seemed to that way. after the race, mm-hmm. talking to JP, talking to Canyon, like turned out it was just not the, the easiest or, uh, most forgiving conditions. Um, so as I like looked at my watch and saw, you know, eight fifty or like nine minute or even like, like a mile split of like 1030. I'm like, there's not a single mile on this course that should be over huh. nine minutes. If, if I'm running how I should be, it takes a lot of like control to not let that get me down. Yeah. And instead to be like, that's okay. Like, let's try to pick up the pace 15 seconds and, and see how that goes for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you, 
take the lead of the race. I'd love for you to bring us into that moment and what was going through your head psychologically understanding, at least from my perspective, that you're not feeling good, but you're on the path now to achieve what is definitely the biggest victory of your career. Tell us about that moment. Yeah, I think the, I think the, like that voice that's like, this is a bad day. You should quit. It's still there. Yeah. It's still fully there. And like, I'm like, they're going to catch me <laughs> trying to douse it. Um, but I passed Canyon, uh, who was in third, um, coming into mile 40 and leaving that aid station. Like I heard, you know, 40 seconds up or something like that. And so long straight away. And I saw JP and like, we were moving about the same clip. Um, and it's like, all right, like if I can, maintain this clip or pick it up a little bit and, you know, I might be able to reel him in a little. And, um, I never met JP. So I didn't, I didn't know he was second at, um, Leadville last year. Like when I caught up to him, I was like, how are you feeling, man? He was like, I'm feeling all right. I'm like, I'm Jeff. He's like, I know who you are. I was like, well, it's nice to meet you. And he's like, not really not in these conditions. And, uh, I was like, JP, man, like I saw a couple guys behind us who look fresh and like, there's a chase pack right now. We're in, great place yeah and the best way we can secure these tickets is like let's go like yeah yeah let's pick each other up let's work together um at least aid station to aid station like we need to find whatever strength we can in ourselves and in each other um because it's way easier to run with someone than just be out on your own and um i was kind of hopeful we would just be able to cruise the rest of the way together yeah. uh and race day rick is just really good at his job like next aid station i was in and out in a couple seconds and that and was, was like it calling that yeah, was it. i was like jp are you coming and he was still doing stuff and yeah it's like all right i make that uh, point all the time on all the broadcasts that i do is that it's almost always at the aid stations where some of those critical separations happen and it seems yeah, like I, mean, that was I, I know he's probably stronger than me at running flats and there's a lot of flats at the end of that course and yeah. like I'm sure he felt as good or, or better than I did in like some way. And, yeah. um, it was just getting separated at that aid station. Like would look back, maybe see him look back again, wouldn't see him. And that's and, the critical yeah. opportunity that you needed. Yeah. Yeah. That couple of seconds turned to like six minutes or so. It's such a good lesson for our viewing audience and our listening audience that those aid station transitions do play a big role or they do have big consequences, especially when you're racing for things like wins or golden tickets on the professional yeah. tour. So my lesson there quickly was going to worlds. They like the volunteer staff at worlds, like sent us an email of like, this is what the aid station will look like. Yeah. And it was a video of Zach Miller at Pena Golosa worlds in 2018. And he runs in to the aid station he throws his pack on the ground. He puts another pack on and he runs out and it wasn't even five seconds. Yeah. And like at Western States, I told my crew five minutes, guys, if I'm not out of that aid station in five minutes, like you need to force me to leave. Yeah. Um, you need to like force me to leave. And all of a sudden I was like, I am counting in the wrong units. Here. Yes. Like what a I great lesson. Change this to be more on Zach's page of like, no, it's in and out. Um, even if you, know, you got to like walk it out a little bit, you know, it's better to yeah. be walking and feeding yourself than it is to be sitting and feeding yourself. So, 
Yeah. Really awesome. And uh, yeah, it seems like you put together a fantastic pit crew for yourself with race day, Rick. So now moving towards the end of our conversation and the uh, grand finale, which is you announcing your decision about whether or not you're going to take the golden ticket before we get to that. You cross the finish line of the race. Craig Thornley is there, one of the best RDs in the business, to present you with your second golden ticket to Western States. So before we get to the decision itself, securing this victory, do you see this as the biggest victory or the biggest result of your career so far? And and if so, what do you think has uh, what do you think? sort of led to that? Is there any big contributing factor? Is it sort of connecting with Corinne and taking a little bit more of an intentional approach to your training and professionalism or any, or something else? Um, it's, it's hard to say like my 2022 season ended up actually being awesome starting with black Canyon. Like in a lot of ways, I think quad rock might've been the best race I've ever done. And that was a 25 mile race. Like Seth ruling ended up beating me, but it was like really fast and really fun. Um, like I've had a couple other larger victories at the hundred mile and 50 mile distance. Um, no race has felt more like a victory than world championships, even though like I alone got 14th. Um, team having that team win was just like a crazy level of stoke and endorphins and a feeling like I, I don't know, we're, got a gold medal at world championships. Like that's crazy. Uh, I don't know how to explain that to like any normal person. Um, but this race, like it really, like I was at Bandera to get redemption at Bandera. Um, I, once I had that experience at worlds, I was like, I still want to go to Bandera regardless of what happens with a golden ticket. Um, I've been fifth there. I've been third there. Like I want to win there. And whether Chris, at Tejas trails, like tells you, I'm pretty sure he really wanted me to come back and win there too, because my two other, uh, attempts were really close and just also really far away. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to close out that story and, and get back down there and, uh, and have success on that course. Um, the, like crossing the line, I knew I was going to face Craig right away. Yeah. And I also knew like all day running, it's like, I'm not accepting this ticket right here, right now. Um, because like the really, one of the main considerations here is like, I was wrecked for two months after After Western Western States in 2022. Um, and like, you don't get those two months back. Um, Colorado is an amazing place to be, especially in those two months. (laughs) The high country is really special in July and August. You can chase wildflowers for two months straight. And, um, I was like pretty much sidelined. I got out on a couple of ventures, which were special, but my body was just not recovering. Um, and like, I knew that I needed to think about it more than just making that like moment, you know, decision to accept the golden ticket. Um, I knew I wanted to talk to my partner, Annie, um, who also lived with me during the buildup of that and the aftermath of it. Uh, you know, my family who came out and crewed me and yeah, there is a real part of me that is just like, when I compare Western States to worlds, I would left world championships with this like community mm-hmm. and 
I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that I was in quarantine at Western States, but I did not have that feeling leaving Western States. I did feel like it was one of the best run races I've ever, you know, taken part of in terms of like the volunteers, the whole scene, the energy level. Um, that course is beautiful. Like Western States is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so is world championships. And like to be in this position is like about as, you know, blessed of a position as I can be in. Good problem to have, as they say. Yeah. Potentially like have the opportunity to do two of, you know, or one of those races twice in the same year. Um, so yeah, I saw Craig and I was like, I thank you so much for being here. It means so much to me that you are here. Like we all know they've been through a lot with the mosquito fire this year. And he is just so, so dedicated to, um, what he does. And, you know, also in my mind, it's like these USATF mountain ultra trail volunteers who are also dedicated to what they do and like have been encouraging me to try to go back to world championships. So, um, I, I kind of diverted both by just turning to Chris, the race director at Bandera. And I was like, we did it. Yeah. We won. Enjoy that for a moment. Yeah. Before you start thinking about the next race. Exactly. Congratulations, man. I mean, what an awesome race. And yeah, it is a great opportunity or a great problem to have to be choosing between these two phenomenal races. And I think your experience at Western States in the immediate aftermath is something that a lot of pros I think have been through. I know I certainly have as well. And I don't think it's something that's necessarily appreciated as much in the broader trail running community of just how much that race shreds you when you're trying to race for a top 10, because you're just on the gas pedal all day in the heat. You're basically not hiking a single step. You really have to be on the rivet the whole time in one of the most competitive, most prestigious races in the world. And it has consequences during the part of the year that you want to be gallivanting through the mountains, but it's an extraordinarily special race. And when you have a special day on that course, it is life-changing and there's so much that's good about um, you know, all these different races that we do, but there's something very special about both the world championships and about Western States. So with that being said, Mr. Colt, you've been meditating for two days, contemplating the trajectory you want your career to take. The floor is yours. Please reveal to the audience what you have decided. Yeah. I, I went and saw the sage up on the mountain. I chatted with, uh, with, with Max King and just some other like trail runners who I really admire. And, um, basically went seeking advice because like I am so torn and you know eventually I want to do hard rock too and that means doing a 100 mile race this summer that's not western states or like UTMB on top of whatever else my season has in store for me and Mm -hmm. um I think at this point like the the only answer the obvious answer is I'm taking the ticket to golden uh the golden ticket to western states um I'm so thrilled with that being plan a and um i also think it's a really really special and thoughtful move that um the kind of western states committee adjusted the um the roll down for golden tickets and that date um you know i think that like if i have the opportunity to race western states i want to show up as as fit and prepared as possible if um if I get called to represent Team USA in an 80K toward the end of April, 
Um, I then am refaced with this decision, but right now uh, (laughs) this, this decision is, uh, is pretty clear that, um, you know, I'm going to be ready to toe the line in uh, in Olympic village. And, um, more than anything, I want, you know, I want the U S team also to defend an 80 K world championship. And, um, like fingers crossed, Eric Lapuma or Adam Mary are like, I'm going back. I want to go for it. But <laughs> I'm also confident that. Uh, so, what's the qualification now for Worlds? There's three spots that'll go from Lake Sonoma, and there's two at-large bids. Mm-hmm. So, um, there are more than two trail runners uh, who are just way faster than me. And if the at-large bids um, are you know, the resume submissions are from really strong trail runners. That's great. That means, uh, hopefully we'll win worlds and defend that title. Um, I, I think I am in a great place, like knowing I'm, you know, uh, got the spot at at Western States and can go back there. Um, I still am hopefully going to submit a resume and I encourage everyone to submit a resume for, for the world team as well, because, it is uh it's a really special experience and um yeah there's uh there's too much good as as someone sent me today uh David Laney actually yeah. doubled and did in 2015 the 84k right. at worlds in like May by Western and States. then western states yeah yeah it was only one week more yeah but that's still cuckoo yeah. um so yeah as of as of uh as of today, Western States, here we come and uh, hopefully double Let's back for a miler, um, either like Wasatch or the Bear in September to be able Get to that keep hard my, rock qualifier. my hard rock lottery going. But um, yeah, I can't be more more thrilled about that. And I know that with a longer runway into Western States, you know, going back to that first thing that I told Corinne when we got on the phone, like, I want that feeling. Yeah. I want to show up and know like, you know, 1640 isn't my cap. 1620 yeah. isn't my cap. I want to have no idea what my cap is and, you know, push it as fast as I can possibly go. Heck yeah, man. Take a big swing. And I know yeah. that the, the 11th place finish last year is pretty much as unsatisfying <laughs> of a position that you can finish in, even though you did have a solid day and an amazing field last year, there's certainly a lot of room for improvement for you on Definitely. the Western States course. So there you have it, folks. Straight from the horse's mouth, Jeff Colt, your 2023 Bandera 100K champion, is taking his golden ticket to Western States. Not quite as conclusive as an answer as I was thinking. He still might put his resume in for a world's bid, but for now... Everyone should put their resume in. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that, but uh, I've got I've got a confirmed entry yeah. uh, through Ultra Sign Up for Western States, and... Um, all the wheels are rolling in that direction. So, yeah. yeah. Well, either way, what is definitely true is that you'll be testing yourself against some of the best athletes in the world at one of the great races in the world. And, uh, that's a good problem to have whichever direction you go. But for now, here we go. Palisades Tahoe Olympic village, the last weekend in June, Jeff Colt is coming for you. Easy dog. Well, Jeff, super fun to have you on the pod. Thanks for doing it in this sort of novel live fashion. It's fun to experiment with these sort of formats. And, uh, you know, it's been fun to follow your career these next or these last couple of years. And I'm really looking forward to what you do next. 
Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. And um, there's a lot of, lot of excitement. 2023 is going to be a sweet year. No doubt. Thanks everybody for watching. Hope you have a wonderful Monday night. Peace out. Fun stuff. I really enjoy doing these live podcasts and especially moderating conversations with multiple guests. So thanks to Corinne and Jeff for joining. Definitely keen and open to feedback. Should we do more of these live pods? Should we stream regularly or should we focus on the traditional podcast recordings that you have become accustomed to. Let me know in the free trail Slack. Send me a DM. Go follow Jeff on Instagram. Give this dude some love as he embarks on his journey back to Western States for the second time where I am expecting him to do great. Give him a follow. Send him a DM to wish him good luck. Thank you to our sponsors, Speedland. Runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GSTAM or the SLHSV. Best shoes on the market. Gnarly Nutrition. GoGnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off this incredible selection of nutrition products at GoGnarly.com. Best Ape Brewing, the mega dank non-alcoholic beer company from Marin County. Let's all do drugs. January together. Visit bestapebrewing.com. Use code DRY20 for 20% off. Thanks everyone for being here. Again, a bit of an announcement coming next week, so stay tuned. But that's it for now. Love you so much. Talk soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>